Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. This is our fourth podcast that we've recorded today. If you <laughs> You're giving away tell, the secret. <laughs> if, you, if you cannot tell by... We, we didn't even change our clothing really this time. <laughs> We're like, let's just keep it rolling. We hope everyone's having a great day. If this is the first time you're tuning in with us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. Views are up, making me very happy. Uh, leave a comment down below of topics you'd like us to go over. If you're listening on the podcast side things, a rating and review goes a very long way as well. We are the number one value investing podcast in the world. Having a lot of fun doing it. Today's podcast, we're going to talk about the rule of 240. Okay. I never hear the rule of 240. Right. I hear the rule of 72. Uh-huh. Never the rule of 240. And how to work backwards from a future 10-bagger to today's stock price. So a little bit of a reverse engineering going on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the other day, Jeff and I were doing some scuttlebutt. Mm-hmm. And we were on a road trip, a mini road trip. And we were just talking about a bunch of different topics. And we were just talking about, you know, I mean, Jeff, you know, in some mm-hmm. of the earlier podcasts, we went over this book called 100 Baggers and, yep. and stuff from it. And then 101 in the stock market. And we don't think people should set out to say, I'm going to look for a hunter bagger. Right. But we do think it could be productive to say, I'm going to look for a 10 bagger. Yeah. Um, but a company has to be a 10 bagger before it could be a hunter bagger. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the rule of 240, what is that? Okay. So this combines, I guess, three books that I've been reading recently. Um, one is the rule of 240 is actually included as an appendix in one of my favorite investing books or favorite books. I don't know if everyone counts as an investing book. Um, a Man for All Markets. Uh, which is Ed Thorpe. And uh, he just includes it in the back showing you how, how um, your money will compound at uh, one order of magnitude, so an increase of 10 times. And it's more realistic because to talk about it versus 100 bagger is that, as you can see from doing the math on 240, um, in 15 or 16 years, if you compound at 15 or 16%, you can have a 10 bagger. Um, and I like it better than the rule of 72, which tells you when your money will double, which is very useful for like, you know, if you have a um, guaranteed payment for something, but is less useful for the stock market because honestly, your money is doubling and having all the time for reasons that have nothing to do with the underlying business. I mean, you, you will double your money when nothing has changed with the business plenty of times. Uh, that's unlikely to happen. I mean, it, in most businesses you're going to invest in, if they've gone up 10 times, something's gone well with the business. You know. Okay. So what are the things though that okay, so rule of two forty then. Yeah. So what so that's not just dealing with the stock price then, is what you're essentially saying. Yeah. So I mean, so for example, you know, using as an estimate, if if it uh your stock compounded at ten percent a year, then you know, you'd have a ten bagger in twenty four years. Okay. Um and what I wanted to do with this though in particular is combine it with another book, uh Thinking in Bets. Thinking in Bets. There you go. Um, <laughs> which uh, has a section uh, pretty late in the book that talks about how you can work backwards, basically to figure out what would have to happen for this to be a success and what would have to happen for it to be a failure, which to me is the more interesting one. So uh, what you would do is you'd say, okay, so use the rule of 240. Uh, let's say that you want to you know, uh, get, you want to say, is this stock possible to be a 10 times return sort of stock? Maybe. How is that possible? Well, using the rule of 240, for instance, you could say, okay, well, could I have a 10 bagger in 10 years? Mm. Well, you could if your return was about, if the stock could, the business could compound about 8% a year, right? And the price to earnings multiple is going to triple. Okay, so let's stop there. All right, let's ask a question. Mm-hmm. 
business can compound. What right. is that? Is that uh, net income? <laughs> is that the return on equity? Sure, let's call, that earning, let's call that earnings per share. Okay, so EPS can compound. Okay, uh, So it. if EPS compounds at 8% a year, got it. and then I also have... Um, and then I also have my uh, tripling of the price multiple. Okay. Then that gets us to 24. And then, you know, in 10 years, then we, we would have uh, a 10 bagger. And then I guess to help put that in perspective, you're not going to buy an earnings uh, or like a, a company at like a 80 times earnings and expect that it's going to triple right. like in 10 years. And that's why it doesn't and why it doesn't work. So what is useful about it, which is the one where I was mentioning thinking in bets, is that you basically want to write down, as if you're writing a magazine article or something about why your investment is like say you're writing a magazine article in 2030, why the investment turned out to be a 10 bagger, and you're describing it after the fact. And then you're saying, uh, and then you also are writing down why it failed to. And the why it failed to one's very interesting because it's like, okay, well, it's comp the company's compounding at 10% a year or something, you know? Why would it fail to be a 10 bagger over a long period of time? Well, the P multiple could be too high. So it's very easy then working backwards to say, oh, well, this P multiple of 20 could become 15. That takes a lot off of it. And so using that approach, I think you are less likely to focus on things that don't have enough upside. And it's not talking about like really risky things or something, but if you can't get a 10 bagger over 15, 20, 25 years, or whatever, figuring out how you would do that, then maybe that's not the kind of stock you want to be in. Mm -hmm. And no, it's interesting though, because we were talking about Activision. Right. And you gave that example how, mm -hmm. you know, if you actually get that multiple expansion and right. why, why, do you get the multiple expansion? Because when you bought Activision, which mm -hmm. this company was an actual hundred bagger for Jeff when he was in high school, it was not um, hundred bagger for me. It would have been hundred bagger yeah. if I held onto it, it from high school to today. Yes, but my point was that I sold it. But yes, go yes. ahead. <laughs> I had to point that out. Sorry, <laughs> no. but um, you bought it at ten times earnings. So I bought it expanded. Correct. So here's a good example. I I think I bought Activision at a if we do EV sales or something about one times or somewhat less to about seven times that. It was about a, a seven times increase in sales which is probably the easiest way to do it um you could do it in terms of free cash flow or something maybe it was three times or more in terms of that but yeah so let's say sales seven times because sales is an easy one to do sales is more realistic because that's kind of the one that you can't fool yourself as mm -hmm. easily on i think you you know we could look at tesla and say how much could earnings go up they could go up a lot i mean who knows you know because of uh, operating leverage and whatever but there's a point at which you say well are they going to sell two trillion dollars worth of cars or something probably not so you know you have more of a realistic sales number mm -hmm. there so you can say what price to sales could this eventually be at and yeah if you get a number that says it can go from that it can the multiple can expand seven times well that cuts into 240 quite a bit um, whereas if it, it, the problem is of course, if it contracts, then your rule of 240 becomes a rule of 480 and stuff like that, which is, yeah. Now what happened, what needs to happen, uh, to have that multiple expansion? Is it like the margins improve, the business starts to grow faster, more investors start to care about it? I mean, what, yeah. what happens typically? Those other things happen and then investors care a lot about it, especially if it performs over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. So like I often give an example of J and J snack foods and stuff, just cause it's pretty boring company and stuff. It's its actual performance, as far as I can tell as a business today, is not much better than it was 20 years ago or so. It's a much bigger company, and it's just been performing well for like 30 years in a row instead of for like, um, you know, 10 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this book was written by a poker player. Yes. And I think Howard Marks actually wrote about yes, it in one of his recent memos. That's why I looked at the book. And you actually Howard proposed a hypothetical to me. Give it to them, too, for living in the 1920s. Was it the 1920s that came from that book? 
because it kind of talks about like it reminded me of it when you said uh, oh, why it succeeded yeah. why it failed. Yes, uh, they, they actually that well yes. So she talks about in in um, whether people would prefer to make I think she, the example she gave was seventy five thousand dollars to make seventy five thousand dollars in nineteen hundred or seventy five thousand dollars in in twenty twenty. Uh, the idea being that you'd be m- much better off. Uh, materially and stuff in many ways making $75,000 today but the difference is that in 1900 you would be much richer relative to other people so you would feel very wealthy on a relative basis and for most people relative to other people relative accomplishment matters a lot more for their happiness than absolute and you didn't have like air conditioning and like this no, other luxury you're much worth no poor people today are usually much better off than rich yeah. people a couple hundred years ago yeah. yeah 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 so i thought that was uh, interesting um okay so I guess how to work backwards from a future time bagger. So we talk mm-hmm. about, you know, maybe it's buying it at a 10 piece. So you're going to get that multiple expense because you can make right. money in stocks, right? Generally three ways, dividend, okay. um, growth, mm-hmm. and then multiple expansion. Typically, I guess buybacks yes. as well, but yeah. Well, one way to think about it in terms of if we put dividends aside and buybacks aside, although they both can factor into it is how fast can sales grow? Mm-hmm. Can my margin expand? And then can the multiple on my profits expand? Mm-hmm. There's other ways to think about it in terms of price to book and all that kind of stuff. But let's just use that example because that's kind of more what people usually focus on. So can you get margin expansion? Can sales grow a lot? And can the PE end up being a lot higher? Um, with a lot of growth companies that are smaller companies and that people really like these compounders, it is very realistic that they can grow sales a lot. It is sometimes pretty realistic they can grow margins a lot. Mm-hmm. The usual problem for those comes in the multiple expansion. And this is what we were talking about, where I was saying, look, there's very few stocks, there's virtually none, um, that have been 100 baggers. Now, we're only talking about 10 baggers here, but, the, but that have been 100 baggers starting from a P of 60. Mm-hmm. Because a P of 60 will almost always eventually become a P of 15. <laughs> and if you take whatever return you're going to have, your 100 bagger becomes a 25 bagger if you cut it down you know, by that uh, by four times. And that becomes really serious. So, hun- so using the 100 baggers example, 100 baggers tend to end up with P's of 60 and stuff. They don't start there. Mm-hmm. They start with P's of 10 and 20 and, and sometimes 30 if they're amazingly fast growers and stuff. There are examples. I don't know... Like, like, you know, um, things like Walmart and Southwest Airlines and uh, and stuff like that. We mentioned Monster Beverage. I think Starbucks would fall in that category where they could have sustained a P. I don't know if they literally did, but you could have bought them a P of 30 and they just their returns were so good for so long yeah. that, that they could maintain that. You know, that was my next question. Like, well, OK, so these companies that trade at, you know, 20 to 30 times earnings, but they mm-hmm. grow a lot. Yes. So how does that math work? In comparison to buying a stock at 10 and then, you know, you if, know what I'm saying? If like they're that. small enough and have a big enough runway, something like 30 can work uh, a P like that. But you have to be careful because it means no expansion. So it, we've talked before about how you only need like 15% type returns over long periods of times. So like I just said, you could have basically a 10 bagger in about 15 years at about a 15% reinvest uh, return, mm-hmm. uh, return equity. However, for things that have like 30 P's and stuff, those returns have to be higher. And and like Walmart in its very early days had very high returns on equity. Now they declined over its entire history. That's what happens to most companies that start out, you know, that impressively. So, you know, um, and that tends to be what tends to be the case. That tends to be what happens. So if you can sustain a return on equity of and a growth rate of like 30% indefinitely then yes you can have a very high multiple but at the point at which that dips down you're likely to have the multiple decline by a similar amount so i think you'll be surprised how few companies that return 10 
times and certainly 100 times are actually very expensive stocks. They tend not to be very expensive stocks. It, it can happen. I mean, we talked about Activision. Activision, after a 10 times increase, was probably a pretty expensive stock, and it increased another 10 times, mm-hmm. um, but not as expensive as it is now. And more importantly, not as big. And that's one of the points about the rule of 240 thing I'm getting into is you want to actually – the it's easy to imagine anything doubling, mm-hmm. but it's a lot harder to think about something going up 10 times because let's imagine it had to come all from sales. Like let's say their profit margin was 10% and you expect it to always be 10%. Mm-hmm. And their P is 25 and you expect it to always be 25. Okay. That could be an attractive stock, but think how it has to grow sales by 15 or 16% a year for 15 or 16 years to go up 10 times. Sure. That's when you actually do the math of how much compounding that is. It means that all of the compounding, the 10 times increase is all through sales increases. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a $10 million company, $100 million company, you go, oh, that can make sense. But when you start to get to billion, you worry about it. 10 billion, it's probably not gonna happen. 100 billion, it can't. Because it's gonna to be the biggest so company big. in the world. Yeah. yeah. So um, there are, of course, a few, a few examples of things that can b- make that so it's not true. But you know, if we take companies like Google and Facebook, they can't go up 10 times because their, their market isn't 10 times bigger than them. You know, Amazon, maybe if they expand into lots of different things and do whatever, that's a different story. But usually only very small, not very small companies, but only companies that are pretty small compared to their overall market can do that. So the part that makes investing hard is if you're going to buy a company at 10 times that Mm -hmm. eventually becomes a 10 bagger or a 100 bagger. Right. There's probably some sort of short-term uncertainty. That's why most likely it's 10 times earnings, right? So when you were talking about Activision in a past podcast, you're saying how there was uncertainty around, um, you know, how it's going to be like in relation to like music publishing and stuff like that. It wasn't a popular industry, I would say. Yeah. So how mm-hmm. do you, I guess, overcome that? Like there, there definitely is a, a monster. I would say it was the same thing. Monster was perceived to be faddish in a way that other soft drinks and things weren't. Mm-hmm. That that was the perception of, it, and that's why the stock didn't run to be 120 p instead of 30 or something. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but that's the hard part of investing, of course, <laughs> you know, yeah, just like, so, how do you get over? So you have to analyze those things and try to come to the conclusion of whether you think it's sustainable or not. I mean, that's like what Buffett does and those sorts of things, you know? So, um, I mean, you, Buffett's had several 10 baggers and as an example for some of them is that he's even mentioned that he usually gets a return that's better because of the multiple expansion. Mm-hmm. But then he's also, Buffett definitely tends to invest in companies in which he expects the margin to expand. If you watch what he does, that tends to be his kinds of investments. So he buys a newspaper that he expects 10 years from now will have much higher margins than it does now. And so he may pay what seems to be a high price, but then he gets a return that he thinks is bigger. Even things when he does th- things like airlines, what he was hoping for, railroads. He's seeing something in terms of how the business is changing where he thinks the profitability will be a lot higher in 10 years. So he's rarely betting on very high sales growth. He's not that kind of investor where like Phil Fisher would bet on high sales growth. Buffett bets on improving business fundamentals below the sales line, right? Mm-hmm. And then things that aren't fads and stuff, of course. Yeah, you need to have that. Do you think it's better to focus on that? Or do you think it's better, for example, I mean, does it bake into your margin safety if you don't assume any margin growth? Which I know, I mean, what, you don't assume any multiple growth, which I know isn't the topic of the discussion, but... Um, like I know I've talked to some investors where they say that they, they don't, they don't think about multiple expansion. And if it makes sense from like an IRR perspective without multiple expansion, then maybe that could just add to like the value cake. Yes. I think that makes a lot of sense. However, I think you'll be surprised by how big your returns will be in the multiple expansion, especially over long periods of time, not short periods of time. So if you invest in very good companies, 
that are smaller and less well-known than bigger companies that have the same economics they do, it's been my experience that eventually they either grow into bigger companies or they get recognized. I mean, we've talked about that even in things like computer services or something where mm -hmm. we're like, fundamentally, it's the same business as other core processors. It's an unlisted stock, it's whatever. And you could say you apply a discount for liquidity, you do this and that. But at the end of the day, you say, look, it's earning 20 or 25% returns every year, raising its dividend like half a century in a row, doing all exactly the same things as the other core yeah. processors. Then you just buy it on that basis and you don't know if it'll ever have a P of 25 instead of 15 or whatever, but you just, you do that on that expectation. Mm -hmm. And that's worked for me definitely. And I should have held things longer when when I give a boring example of J&J Snack Foods, yeah. it's basically had economics similar to other food companies. Mm -hmm. It didn't have the best brands or something in the world, but it was like very predictably, it had a low double-digit PE at a time when it had probably 10, 15 years in a row every year had higher earnings, higher sales, higher, just exactly like big food companies would and just wasn't recognized as much because it was maybe a few hundred million dollar market. Cap so what's a, a multiple of that worth? Well, now I don't know, 25, 30. I mean, people put very, very high multiples on food companies, mm -hmm. you know? And same sort of thing when we talked about video games or something. If people think it's faddish and stuff, then they put a low multiple on it. But eventually, you know, eventually people start to believe that Monster is as blue chip a company as Coke. You know, I, it may take a generation until mm -hmm. they just accept it as another thing that's, in, you know, being sold. That's, how is it any different? Um, but... Early on, that's not the case. And so, of course, that's the kind of thing. That's the Buffett kind of thing is like, can you recognize the difference between those things that are more fads and stuff and the things that maybe have more staying power and all that sort of thing? I mean, but yeah, eventually they get very high multiples. And a lot of the companies that he invests in, it's not like they're growing sales by like, like you said earlier, they're not growing by, you know, 10, I mean, maybe 10, but like 15 or 20%. I mean, look right. at even Apple. Yeah. He paid what multiple for Apple? 10 times earnings? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't I don't know what they're growing, but I know they're not growing like top line sales by twenty percent or something like that. I mean, probably right. less than ten. Mm -hmm. But it is it is interesting to look at the ones that were specifically ten baggers for him, right? So we can think about some of those. So I mean, he has a few that maybe were hundred bagger. I'm trying to think if Washington Post eventually became hundred bagger. I think it did. Yeah. So um, because he invested like ten or eleven million or something, and it was over a billion at one point. So um, I, I think. He had several newspapers that were seized candies would be actually but my best estimate. This is on stuff that I had to look. So I could be very wrong. But of the like wholly owned businesses he bought, the ones that stood out to me were seized candies and Nebraska Furniture Mart. Um, but it would depend. Of course, those aren't publicly traded. So what multiple do I think people would put on it? I think it would be high. Um, so it is. He hasn't had a lot of success in companies that barely grow at all. What he's had success with is the companies that grow at like. Um, the solid growers that grow forever, basically, you know, mm -hmm. but like Geico is a really good example of that. Geico can grow, has grown for decades. Um, at least since it had its near death experience, it's had 40, between 40 and 50 years now or so, um, of very high, of very re reasonable growth, like above the economy growth. And it's sustained that for such a long time and can still sustain going forward. And if you compare it to progressive or something, same thing. That's why a lot of times I think banks, insurers and stuff can be attractive because they have the potential to grow for such a long time into the future. If you get rates that are like, you know, the 15% kind of rate, mm -hmm. not you don't ever need the 25 or the 30 or whatever because those things can grow for such a long, long time because you can buy them when they're really small and they're in a really big industry. 
you know? Well, that's why we said like the industry matters so much as well. Yeah, the industry matters a lot if the industry grows and stuff, or if you're very small in a very big industry. So even like, say, Starbucks or something, it, you don't actually need any growth in the coffee industry because you're nothing in the industry is huge, mm-hmm. you know? Or if you're going to be a big player in the industry, then yes, you need the industry to be growing pretty fast too, you know? Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself, the book that we referenced. We've referenced the, the Thinking in Bets. That's yes. a good book. Uh, uh, Andy Duke, and then Hunter Baggers, love that book. And 100 to 1 in the Stock Market. Yes. We've talked about these three books for the past uh, four podcasts. Well, at least uh, two of them. And then Thinking in Bets was in this one. So if you... If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. And of course, if you're listening on the podcast side of things, a rating and review goes a very long way for us. Definitely very appreciative of all the support. If you want to use the same website that Jeff and I use every single day to pull financial information, to pull financial models, to pull key ratios, everything in a very quick and easy manner. Go to quickfs.net and when you sign up, tell them that you came from Focus Compounding. Help support everything that we're doing and we're definitely very appreciative of it. I'll thank everybody so much for tuning in and we will see you in the next podcast.